Hey, everybody. This is not the regular episode you were expecting in your feed. You're probably getting another episode in your feed as well, but this is actually a member bonus episode. And it's here because we said, you know what? Let's let, let's let people who aren't members uh, get a taste of uh, what the members are getting. So, uh, you know, for, for with this episode, probably going to be dropping a few others and just kind of give you a sense as to what you could be getting if you say, you know what, I'm going to become a member and support the next reel. That's right. This is consider this our pledge drive. <laughs> right. How about that? For a couple of episodes, a couple of weeks running, we're going to uh, be dropping some of our member content that usually goes just for members, and we're going to drop it to everybody um, as just a way to appreciate all of you as listeners and also to say, hey, if you've thought about it, uh, now would be a great time to get that membership started. That's right. You can just go to truestory.fm slash TNR membership. Or you can just go to truestory.fm slash the next reel and you'll find it. It's right there. You can't miss it. There are lots of ways to get there. So many ways. So just, many and then, ways. then poke around on the website. There's all sorts of there's Stuff. believe it or not, there is a page for every episode. It really shouldn't come as a surprise, <laughs> but hey, if you want to also look at <laughs> look through the website, it's there too. Yeah, it's there. And you don't it's have there. to be a member. No. No. All right. I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Andy Nelson. Welcome to the next reel. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. Relic is over. She forgets things. You know what she's like. When was the last time you spoke to her? It's been a few weeks. Gran? Mom? She called me a few weeks ago. I think she was scared. She thought someone was coming into the house. Tea? Do you know where you were, Mum? I suppose I went out. What's this? I was on the property when your grandfather inherited it. His mind wasn't there in the end. You can't put Gran in a home. She can't live on her own anymore. She has to be watched. Everything all right, Gran? I thought this was where it got in. Who? Whoever was coming into the house. Mum, what is it? It's here. Under the bed. There's nothing under the bed, Mum. Will you check for me? I'm here to help you, Mum. I can see you. Andy, we're talking about Relic 2020. Emily Mortimer is in it. Uh, 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 and it it's a delightful, a charming movie about uh, women across three generations coming to terms with one another and aging and grief and loss and ultimately love. Relic. <laughs> it's there is there is definitely a lot of interesting stuff to talk about in this film and uh we're going to be jumping in and talk through quite a bit of it this film was rated r and it uh, is rated r because of it has some horror violence some disturbing images and it, it has some language it has was, a lot of language some of it i guess you'd say it's offensive language <laughs> <laughs> it might have less language than you'd imagine, you know, it's a, just right. if you're just counting. Right. <laughs> okay. 
Do you want to watch this movie and help us out? When you look into the show notes on your little podcatcher or wherever you're listening to this, you will see some some links there at the bottom. And we always put options of places that you can click to go and watch this movie. If you see Apple or you see Amazon links, those links, you can click on it and you can go rent it or buy the movie and we will get a tiny bit in return. It's a great way to support the show. Just click on that. It doesn't even cost you any extra money. Just click on it and, you know, we get like a... a you know, one-tenth of a penny. Taste. So. A taste. A Vic. Yeah. Taste. Yeah. Just a taste. Uh, we're up in our game in the merch store. Head over there, uh, truestory.fm slash TNR merch. And we've got shirts, stickers, mugs, masks, pillows, pillows. And we're working on the shirt for this very movie as we speak. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, I mean, as we speak, we're actually speaking in the podcast. So <laughs> immediately after we speak, there shall be work done on the shirt right. for this film. I want to make a shirt with that that fantastic stained glass I know. I so mean, good. Love that. Love that. So yeah. good. Um, we are starting to feature audio reviews from you, our dear listeners. Um, we would love to start doing this. We want some people to get on uh, the get on the ball. Send your 30-second audio file to reviews at truestory.fm. Watch the film. Get it sent in. Generally a couple weeks before the episode is supposed to go live. And we might just put you in the podcast. Letterbox.com is our favorite social media service. It really is. It is just, it's social media, but just for movie lovers. Just movie lovers. Most TV lovers are even shunned from this place. That's how much it loves movies. <laughs> it's just the movies. Uh, if you too uh, like movies, you can get a 20% discount on upgrading your membership to pro or patron. Just use the code NEXTREAL at checkout. We've made it easy. We created a redirect. If you go to thenextreel.com slash letterboxed, that's letterboxed with no final E. Uh, if you go to TNR, thenextreel.com slash letterboxed, the code will already be applied and uh, you can get your 20% off. It works for renewals as well. And to the point about recording your reviews early, on Letterboxd in our HQ, we actually have a list there of all of the movies that we're going to be talking about over the course of this entire season, which goes from now all the way through the end of June in 2022. So you can get ahead, you know, look at all the movies we're going to be talking about and get a head start and uh, then send us those send us those reviews. We're wrapping up our listener questionnaire. Uh, it's it's a quinquennial questionnaire, but we're now wrapping it up. I mean, we're at the end it's, of yeah. the, the questionnaire cycle. We need all of your feedback. Head over to truestory.fm slash the next reel, and you'll see this big questionnaire button. If you click on it, you can actually fill out your responses to the questionnaire. Let us know what you think of the show, of all the shows of True Story FM Entertainment, and uh, help us get better and learn more. We appreciate you. One lucky listener will get a free year of membership. So it pays to get that filled out very soon. And hey, if you are hearing this, it's because you're a member. This episode is for you. You are supporting us. We really appreciate it. Uh, throwing some of your hard-earned dollars our way so that we can keep making these episodes. We love doing, you know, the regular shows, but we love doing our member bonus episodes, our flick chart re-rankings, the retakes. We love doing all of this stuff. So thank you so much for supporting us and helping us out. And, uh, you know, if you're not on Discord yet, hop in there. Be a part of our community there. We would love to hear from more of you in that community. Andy, I hadn't seen this movie, Relic, before I watched it. (laughs) First time. It's, It's interesting how that works, isn't it? It's a... It's really something. I think I, I, I think I would like to open uh, <laughs> with our perennial question, my oh. favorite question. What did Pete think of this movie? I think you, I think you struggled with this one. I don't think you had as strong a connection to it. Maybe pacing, maybe some of the peculiarities of the story, but I don't think it was as strong for you. What gives you that idea? Is it the way I've been talking for the last several minutes <laughs> about the show? I, I'm just trying to, yeah, using using my Sherlock Holmes <laughs> detective, <laughs> listening listening to clues in your uh, in your vocal folds as you maneuver them up and down <laughs> to All right. create the words that uh, are describing your feelings of this film. Well, then let me tell you this: I really like.
this movie. Okay, good. I really liked it. You're wrong. You're wrong. No, I did no, not struggle I'm not wrong. with it. The you were reason just being deceptive. I was being deceptive. I played you. I played you. I just played you. Let me tell you, I like this movie to the point it has such a mood to it, man. Oh God, it's so moody. And when I like, I'm watching it and I had my headphones on. I'm watching it on the TV and I have my headphones on and my wife and daughter were quilting spread out on the floor in the living room and they were watching me and occasionally I would catch them looking at me and they're staring at me and I realized I'm literally picking at my skin like causing uh, a, a, like wounds on my skin during some of the sequences in the third act of this movie it is creepy 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 moody dark compressing uh, it is all of those things and I had a really fascinatingly good time with the movie. Did they have to stop you from putting the knife in your cheek? Is that where the do you know what my, No, my son <laughs> it, it was, uh, it was so mad. He comes downstairs. I did not hear him because I had my headphones on. I had my headphones on. And it was when she's crawling around and the walls are getting smaller and around every corner, the daughter is crawling around. Amazing. And I just feel this like little tickle on my head and I nearly crap myself. <laughs> like he's behind me i was on the couch and he comes up behind me and tickles my head and i was like oops crap my pants the it was it is a moody creepy movie what'd you think uh, this was you, your first time you tell was this me your first time too this was my first time oh andy yeah. you love this movie this is catnip for you <laughs> i so loved this movie oh my god i i could not get enough of this the mood just the tension the way that uh natalie erica james the director built the the whole uh, just the tone of the story and did some of the the most effective horror directing that was so creepy i mean i've seen things like that where you're looking at a frame and the character turns and then something in the background all of a sudden moves that you didn't realize was there but the way that she did it in in kind of putting this film together it's like it was almost so subtle that it made it that and it and it wasn't buried under you know musical stings things like that no it just it made for moments that just just kept making this film feel freakier and freakier and to the point where i'm like this is just this has to be one of the uh most effective haunted house sorts of films is is really what it felt like you know it's it felt like this possession that i never could quite figure out and uh just oh it was incredibly effective i loved it it is in tone and texture what i expected out of james wan's latest malignant Mm. right interesting can you imagine if he had treated that property with this kind of sensibility i can absolutely see that and i i feel like that's the kind of moody broodiness that i i wanted in the in the movie i thought it was absolutely fantastic and it's another metaphor movie what'd you (laughs) what'd you learn uh, yeah what an interesting thing and and i i was very proud of myself unlike babadook which i i didn't connect with initially when i first watched that yeah film. you're a hot mess on babadook i, know, I, mean, I, I can't a, even i don't even know i i think i just shut my brain off by that point i'm like what is what is this craziness with this film you know it was like oh okay i think we're dealing with with grandma's dementia or alzheimer's or something like that where she's clearly uh not all there and but I, I found it to be so effective the way that James kind of constructed this, where we see things, uh, you know, the way that kind of, you know, it's it's perceived as like these, you know, these shadows in the house or whatever it is that, uh, you know, there's something that is connecting to uh, to Edna, our our grandmother character, and the way that it's kind of portrayed and and building to that ending, which I just found so. Um, haunting and powerful and poignant and heartbreaking. It just, I mean, I was really surprised by how effective the metaphor worked in this particular film. And it leaves it open for, in a way, kind of like the Babadook, where it's, it's a similar sort of feeling where you're like, this is something we're going to just be having to live with now. And I, I don't know. I just, I found it, it in that sense more effective than the Babadook. 
I, I do too. And I don't think it's messaging is quite as heavy handed, even though I feel like I got it early enough. Like, I mean, really, yeah. the moment you get the call that grandmother's wandered off uh, and the daughter has to go like there's you know that there's some sort of we've hit that kind of degenerative phase. And uh, and then you see the state of the house like you just you kind of get the picture early on. And then the conversations about the granddaughter moving in and and frankly, the conflict between the daughter and the granddaughter about, you know, kind of their relationship with grandma and uh, that kind of power struggle, like it just feels so familiar and familial to me, like so natural that by the time we get to the horror elements and you realize that, you know, this is very much that sort of horrific psychosocial manifestation of Alzheimer's and um, and the heredity of it. Like this is a really unique and 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 I, I found it a special way to tell that story and teach the concepts of that kind of grief through these women that I thought was just terrific, terrific and terrifying for each of them to come to terms with it in their own way. I don't want to skip. I I guess I'm a little bit leery to skip so far ahead to the very end of the movie, but seeing the three of them lying in bed together as the daughter reaches up and sees the spot on mom's shoulder as a way to, yeah. to final frame the movie, um, I, I thought was um, was the, the smartest way to, to touch us as it leaves as we leave. Yeah, right. Like really this is special. this is going to be a continuing thing that they will have to be dealing with in their family, and it was uh, it was heartbreaking and and powerful. But I think for so many people who are dealing with family members who are going through dementia or Alzheimer's, including James, who dealt with this with her own grandmother, which kind of oh. gave her some of the idea. It's it's you know when you have these people in your life that are so important to you, and then all of a sudden they're not remembering who you are, and these situations happen it feels like a horror movie you know it feels like something has taken over them that is keeping them from kind of having those connections anymore yeah yeah i think so too she uses space well to tell these stories a scene that really stands out to me i mean we we sort of joked about it earlier about the you know grandma eating pictures yes. right first of all the metaphor of digesting those memories so that they are inside of us and also nothing is I, I think that hits me really hard right that's a that's a, an impactful statement and then burying them so we can't find them again or burying them so we you know we're trying to we know that we're we're going to be able to find them somewhere but then we lose we, we can't trust that memory the way she uses the frame and sets it for example that that just straight shot on the two women on their knees with the big green bush behind them i i was like uh I, I felt like i was with them i felt like i was sitting on the ground watching them from a distance like it's it's rare to feel that in touch with the movie experience but that moment the emotion of the moment the the practicalities of the moment and the setting and the way she set up the camera was well it was it was um, it was great. It was really important. There were a lot of moments like that in the film that just, you know, highlight a lot of these elements and the connection between and the disconnect between people. Like there are some great shots of uh, Emily Mortimer's um, Kay as she is looking at her mother who might be uh, in the foreground, but out of focus. And so mm -hmm. they're they're in the same frame together. They're sharing, sharing the same space, but there is a disconnect. Mom's out of focus. And I, I, you see things like that. And it's, it's really creative the way that it works. Or one of the most off-putting moments uh, with me is kind of showing how backwards grandma is in a certain way where you have, I, I think it's Sam who comes into the room. She's trying to find, find grandma and she walks in and she sees her standing there and it looks like she's, uh, something's not quite right with her. Like she's staring into the wall, like she's looking into the corner or something. And you, it, it feels like you're looking at her back, the way that she's standing. And then as Sam calls to her, you see her arms like move around what it seems like to her back, pull her hair uh, to the side. And you realize, oh, you're staring at her front. And it's just very off-putting how she happens to be standing because it just looked like like they positioned her in such a way where it really felt like you were looking at her back. And then all of a sudden, it's like she pulls her hair apart and there's her face. It's like, what the heck just happened there? 
moments like that just really throw you. And, uh, you know, I've never seen that in a film, but it was like so effectively done. It just, it was like flawless. It really was. Uh, I, I think the, the thing that sticks with me is the, how beautifully all of these elements tie into the overall setting. Can we talk about the house a bit? We should. Yeah. It's a the, the gorgeous house, house. Is, it's a gorgeous house and the decay is is really special in particular the black mold this like insidious black mold that is everywhere and um uh, you know you find it on on everything and if anybody's ever had an experience with black mold and abating black mold from your house you you get it i mean that's a thing we we deal with here in in the pacific northwest and uh it it's it's rough to get rid of and incredibly damaging to your health, right? And especially, I think, neurologically. I don't know a lot about it, but I, I know that that's, um, that's my level of understanding is don't get black mold. Uh, this movie oozes black mold, and they never actually talk about it. But to me, that sets the, the sort of character picture that there's going to be a lot of damage, and we're going to be—the house is sort of eating itself, right, from the inside out. And, um, and, and that is— Absolutely the experience of, of, you know, Edna as, as a relic. Like everything in this movie is just aging so fast from the people, but quite specifically to the house, um, that they are all living in. So, uh, it was amazing. Well, and it sets it up in a really interesting way, I think, with that story that I, I guess Kay had had when she was younger. She's talking to Sam about about kind of this time when i think it was her grandfather who they had found in yeah. this old shack who had he'd come out here and had died here and kind of rotted here and it discovered very late because uh, we we kind of see her have that dream at one point we see that she's um was she looking through edna's things she sees that edna had sketched it and right. so it was this element that was part of their past and it I, I find it so interesting the way that they set that up where, you know, is it like a spirit of grandpa who's doing all this? Who knows? Um, but, you know, they kept when they tore that uh, old shack down, kind of that cabin, they kept that window as a relic of that. And that's kind of that, um, you know, wonderful stained glass window in the front of this house. But it's almost like those memories are part of the rot and that's part of what's kind of causing all this because i love it when you see the window and you see the rot kind of coming around the window and everything right it does just, it, it and feels... does the rot change because you really get that focus on the window at the very end yeah. and it's the rot is almost taking over the whole window but now i think it, i wasn't paying enough attention to the window in the beginning of the movie is it cleaner i don't think it's nearly as rotted out as it is later but i'd have to go back and look to kind of see you know, kind of spot check it over the course of the film to see how that grows. Right. I mean, I think you, that transference of energy, like the grandfather was was the sort of relic number one, and he was neglected and died and rotted. And that energy of the window gets transferred to the house and is inherited by the space and by everyone in it. Wait, what's this? Oh, that was on the property when your grandparents inherited it. My great-grandfather lived there. By himself? Yeah, there were all these stories. Apparently his mind wasn't all there in the end and nobody knew how bad it was. I don't think he was cared for like he should have been, you know. Mm. I was happy to see it go. Mum used to threaten to lock me in it when I was being a brat. Is that the same window as the one on the door downstairs? Yeah. Yeah, when they tore it down, they saved some of the windows and used them to build into this place. Uh, yeah, and it makes you wonder, like, did did Grandpa go through some sort of dementia as well that kind of led him to, to this place where he right. got lost, no one found him, he died, and they found him all those, all those days later after he had kind of completely rotted away? Like, you know... Is that another element that we're meant to kind of assume here? And so that's part of the rot. It's it's more kind of like I guess you could say the genetic rot, where they have this, um, this uh, you know, in their genes that is going to lead them to eventually kind of go down that um, that dark road. Um, but I, I just I but I find the way that the house is designed so much a part of it because of like that window and the rot, mm -hmm. and then you get 
into the labyrinth, as they called it, which is, you know, a really terrifying location. And, uh, you, you know, you it's kind of in the back of the bedroom. It just seems like a closet. But as Sam finds out, it just kind of keeps going because it's kind of that, you know, that storage place of all those old memories. And, and they're kind of at that point, metaphorically, they're just deep in, in into kind of the, the lost places uh, where grandma had been. But it's an interesting um, setting and a setup because as you learn, Sam finds out that you know, they have some neighbors who have a a son who uh, I, I don't know has Down syndrome, something yeah, like mm-hmm. that, and and he had come over. Alex, what happened between Jamie and Gran? They were playing hide and seek, and it was Jamie's turn to hide, and he hid, I guess, in a cupboard with a lock on it. Well, she came along and locked the closet and left him there. I think she forgot they were playing. He was trapped in that cupboard for hours. When he didn't come home, I I went over there to check on him and Edna said she hadn't seen him. But I I could hear him screaming from upstairs. He had paint under his fingernails just from scratching the door. So we've been keeping our distance a bit. Yeah. No, of course. I get it. And that's kind of, you know, where some of this starts and where I guess you could say almost like where that labyrinth really starts to grow as it as it becomes this place to get lost in for grandma, right? Now, do you there were inside the the labyrinth. There are post-it notes everywhere yeah. and you have like the, you know, the, it's describing what's happening as it's happening to her. And eventually you see the walls are closing in, you yeah. know. Is it your understanding that the son, the the neighbor boy, wrote that, wrote all those things, or was that who was that written by Grandma? I just assumed it was Edna. I, yeah, Grandma. I thought Edna had been writing notes for herself at some point, you know, earlier on before she got too far gone. She started writing yeah. notes for herself, but because so because that's the part where you can kind of see, okay, maybe that's heavy handed because all of the things on all of the post its could like figuratively describe the experience of Alzheimer's and literally describe the experience in this supernatural giant closet. Yeah. Right. There's, there's, there's a lot of craziness that ends up kind of happening in there. I don't know. It's horrifying, but also I find there to be an interesting strength there because of the way that that even like that post-it note story thread resolves itself as we as you know they finally get out of this labyrinth of grandmas that they have been trapped in and they they go back for her and I don't, again i don't want to jump t- just to the end right now but just as far as the sticky notes we get that last sticky note that that um she you know now that grandma's kind of falling apart she gestures to it and it's i am loved and i think that's that moment that you realize this is this is a story about a person who is lost in themselves. They can't find a way out anymore. But at least there's that moment where they do realize it. There's that post-it note there that shows you, you know, she's there's still enough there for her to recognize in this one moment, you know, I am love. And and it's a very powerful moment. Well, and it it sets up perfectly the the transverse I think that's what I mean to say, where you, you know, we've been talking about the experience of Edna going through this, but the other side, like the horror movie part of it is when we switch perspectives to the daughter and granddaughter and we get, they sort of embody that, that sort of personification of fear of Alzheimer's, fear of the disease, fear of what it does to people fear of the experience of not being remembered that manifests in the movie as grandma turning into this horror creature that chases them through the halls and across the stairs. And and it's a, a great character design. I think it's really lovely what happens to grandma as her bones start breaking and then coming back together and she's kind of, you know, stumbling all over herself that way. And them having to literally break through walls in the house to escape their own terror of what is happening in their family. Yeah. yeah. Like that, that, I mean, they're completely lost. It's, it's like, 
a nightmare scenario that they're stuck in where they, they just can't get out. Like everything is closing in on them. They're feeling trapped and it becomes a moment where they, yeah, they do have to break through that wall. And, and I think in, in this case, I, I found the way that, um, the metaphor played just very effective because uh, like I can see that I can see them having to deal with this where they're trapped and they have to find a way out of their own potential, you know, downward spiral into this yeah. uh, to get out so that they can kind of break free and, um, you know, and, and get away from it. But again, the strength is of the story is the fact that, that Kay stops and says, I have to go back. I can't leave her. Okay. That was, that was the neutron bomb of the movie. Yeah. For me, that I think if I didn't like the movie, it would be because that twist didn't happen. Mm. Right. Because I was ready for this to be let's escape the monster movie. Yeah. Right. I was ready for that to happen. And this still could have been a glorious metaphor to aging and dying and Alzheimer's and all that. But when she says, I can't leave her and the daughter is saying, you know, it's it's not grandma, it's not grandma. But then we go back into ritual mode and it ends up being at once horrible because we're looking at the the just the the grotesquerie of pulling the skin off which as i understand it is a nod to a to the a japanese funeral rite yeah. right that that there is this the, this sort of ceremonial kind of disrobing um and and as she's she's pulling piece by piece the skin and hair off revealing this kind of dark skinned lizard sort of looking um version of grandma um it it becomes one of the most beautiful exercises of embracing the end that I've seen in in you know much more literal non science fiction horror films. It it's beautiful. This is the first time I've had uh, an experience with a, a straight up horror movie that I've wanted to recommend to my mother. <laughs> That's saying something. That is saying something. It's saying yeah. something. No, and it's funny. I just watched the Japanese film Departures mm-hmm. right before this without any context at all between the two. What's what's Departures about? I don't know. I've not heard of that one. The long and the short. It's about a guy who returns to his small town, needs a job, and ends up working uh, at an NK agent. And those that's the company that basically does these funeral rites. And, and so he ends up in this position where all of a sudden now he's you know, having to participate in these in these um, very very specific rites that they would perform with uh, with a dead body, as far as like kind of washing it and yeah. disrobing it, and the way that they would treat it and everything, and and so it was really interesting to have just watched. You like that. did your homework? I know for it's this like I, I, I did. Do you my know homework what? You didn't even need to tell me you had no <laughs> connection. Like you could have laid into that. I was preparing for Relic Pete, so I watched Departures. It'd be fine. I would not question you. That's funny. Uh, so it, it was interesting, and watching as Kay has that realization as she starts kind of peeling off the layers to find that that inner core of of her mother and make that connection. I mean, it was it was so beautiful yeah. and so heartbreaking. Um, let's talk about self abuse. Mm. Grandma with the knife and the bath yeah. and the water and the stabbing of the face and the chest. And the, all yeah. of that, like there is a whole sequence in the, like kind of in the middle of the film where we get this, the, the experience of, of, you know, grandma kind of unveiling the horror that she's going through, that she's living through. And it manifests through her doing a lot of self-harm. It's tough. I, again, I think a lot of it speaks to just things that people have to deal with, with family members when they get old. But I mean, when she's in the bathtub and you see that grandma just, she has rot all over her. Yeah. And as she's just kind of scratching at him, pulling at the skin on her chest, it's like, ugh. Yeah. And, but what I love about it is it's, it's so effectively done as a horror movie, especially after that open, right? Where we see her, we see the bathtub overflowing. We watch the water as it comes down the stairs. We end up at the Christmas tree. We see grandma standing there naked. And then she turns to tr- kind of toward us, toward the camera. And behind her, there's a shape that moves. And then we cut and we find out that it's it's later and um, the mom and daughter are on their way because grandma's missing. And I was like, what an mm-hmm. effective way to set up a story about possession of some kind. We don't really know what it is, but it feels like grandma's been possessed. And that's really where the bulk of the film is. It's like we saw a shape at the beginning. We see shapes kind of 
off and on throughout the film, just like always kind of popping up in the background. Very effective way that that James does that. Uh, it's some of the m- uh, most effective stuff that I, I've seen. But we we see those moments, and then we come to realize it's not it it isn't this kind of demon or creature or grandpa or whatever it was that had possessed her. It's just like it's the disease, and the disease has now gotten into her. It's taken root. And it's put her in this place where she's wandering off and has no idea where she is and comes back and thinks everything's fine. Like it, it sets it up in such a wonderful way where it all makes sense. Totally, totally. It's incredible. Uh, just how everything pieces itself sort of back together. And, and so on my first viewing, it, all of that stuff, like even from the first sort of vision of the dog, the rotting dog and all of that that stuff feels incredibly creepy and and you know very horror movie tropey and by the time the movie is over and you realize what it was saying it immediately everything falls into place and it makes like i'm really looking forward to watching this again because uh knowing what i know now i i feel like you can watch the movie with with uh, a degree of sympathy uh and empathy right for for what these characters are going through every single one of them uh, in in a special way, the effects work I think too was really great. And I know, you know, when you when you uh, talk about James and what she was like looking to do, a lot of the stuff is is practical, moving walls, that kind of stuff. And then we get to the final creature, which was an animatronic, you know, with moving chest for breathing and eyes and all that. It really worked for me. It sold it. And I, and I know she had said in a in a recent interview that was, you know, like we we knew that if we couldn't get that right, that it doesn't matter the message. It doesn't matter the rest of it. If we couldn't get that right, we would have like it, it, the end. The most important bit of the movie would have been flat. I think she's right. And it totally worked for me. There was nothing in here. None of the effects. Did I have any sort of question? And they're working on a low budget. Right. It's 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 a small amount of money, even with some big producers behind. They, I think they smartly said, OK, well, we can't put a ton of money into this because it's it's going to be a smaller type of horror film. And so and, and James even talks about that with the sets that we were just talking about, like how they had these elaborate big sets that they were planning. And they had to really whittle those down in order to kind of uh, stay within budget and deliver still find a way to deliver the effect that they wanted, which they did. Same thing with that uh, kind of the, the those types of effects where you have this creature version of Edna at the end of the film that had to be completely believable. And and it was. And, and yeah, I, I think that they smartly spent their money in ways to to make all of this completely uh, fit within the film and be believable. hundred percent. And the, the labyrinth, too. I mean, I, I don't know. Uh, you know, sometimes you watch these things where you you know, turn the corner and you're practically in the same corner with some books moved around. But I never got that question where I was trying to figure out the layout of the labyrinth. And I did go back and watch the labyrinth a couple of times because I was really interested in how she, you know, how she got in there. What were the rules that they set up? You know, they, she, they cut to the door and how she keeps the door open. What is the rule around the door? Was it that the door actually closed behind her at some point that we didn't see? And therefore she, uh, she was now in the, in the world of the labyrinth. What was like, I really wanted to kind of understand that uh, until I got to the end and realized, Oh, that doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter at yeah. all. Right, right. So uh, let it go. But it, it is a fascinating set piece that, that I, I never, I never question. Oh, and when grandma gets in there too, I mean, that's speaking yeah. also of just the effects, the way that she would move in there and, you know, the, the confrontations that they had. I mean, it was, I don't know. I, I found it to be incredibly effective. Um, just kind of all of that. They found a way to capture all of this uh, and it works very well. Okay. Uh, Crestwick. Yeah. I just want to talk a little bit about Crestwick because they're in Crestwick, right? Come to Crestwick. She has that line in the movie. The town of Creswick. The town of Creswick. And then there's a short film. Yeah, the short film that James had done uh, five years, I think, before this. Um, no, just three years before this. It was, a. I mean, I find it to be, an, a, a, again, another effective short film. A, a young person who comes to visit his, his father who uh, builds furniture. And keeps hearing like sounds and she goes into the place where he makes furniture and things are on and all this stuff and then looks at the furniture that dad's making and it's like 
all sorts of it starts getting wackier and wackier like the some of the furniture that he's super hr geiger yeah crazy crazy furniture and then you get that end piece and i you know i don't want to spoil it but it's it it was a very surprising terrifying end but i feel like there is something like which i probably didn't think about when i watched the short but now seeing this i can see exactly where james was going with that and i find that to be again another effective use of kind of creating that mood and that idea of this this uh monster that has taken over your parent yeah i i watched i i, I don't think you maybe you had watched crestwick but i don't think you'd watched relic before when you sent me the link to crestwick correct right? i had already seen crestwick so i watched crestwick and i expected there to be like a more literal tie-in uh, but it really is a metaphorical tie-in. Like that, I don't get the feeling that they are that there is any other connection than this is the spiritual sort of inspiration for the longer film. You know, to that end, maybe her next one because she did a short film right after Cresswick called Drumwave, and that one it's a young pianist is forced to confront her fear of motherhood when she marries into a remote island community with bizarre fertility rituals. The, she's already working on the feature version of that. Uh, I think that I saw that she got some financing approved for that and had been moving forward which makes me wonder uh, if the feature version of Drumwave is basically going to be a more like literal interpretation like a longer form version of that short film rather than this one yeah yeah that's interesting i, I this is I, i'm really loving as we're doing these horror movies i think there are more of them maybe in than in other uh genres of filmmakers making short films that are that really demonstrate how good they are at establishing mood and murk and you know on low budget in short in short bursts and getting financing to go make their bigger movies a reality this has been a real treat to be able to see the seed films that lead to um these bigger films have you seen clickbait at all the netflix no no that uh, so she co-wrote this uh with christian white who also co-wrote short or wrote uh, the short Cresswick. And uh, I think is also going to be working on apartment seven a with her as well, but also he he's the creator of clickbait. And so I'm curious to watch that show now and try to get a sense of it because I, I don't know. I'm just, I, I, I'm wondering how much are we pulling from the work of Christian uh, versus the work of uh, James, you know? Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, I, and I have to say, I don't think I have, I mean, uh, uh clickbait. It's a Netflix. I, I've seen, uh, it's another pretty new, right? It was just like this oh, year. Yeah, it's very recent. Yeah. I, I, I don't know exactly when, but I, uh, in fact, if I look, uh, it was just last month or by the time this comes out, will have been, um, late August is when it was released on Netflix. Family man, Nick Brewer, Brewer abducted in a crime with a sinister online twist. Those closest to him race to uncover who is behind it and why. Yeah. Well, it's a 98% match for me. <laughs> 7.3 on IMDb. It is yeah. um it's a popular one, so I'm I'm curious to check that one out now. Me too. Yeah. You know, I will say just uh, you know, just as a last note on this, I suppose before we start moving on, I always love the idea of haunted houses. Unfortunately, I yeah. so often find myself disappointed in haunted house movies. <laughs> Why is that? What is it that Haunted House movies let you down? Because I think that they end up needing to kind of make the ghosts like, you know, turn it into something like The Haunting, which is just such nonsense. The remake. I go back to something like the original The Haunting or The Innocence that we've Mm -hmm. talked about on the show before um, or The Changeling, which is, you know, possibly one of my favorite Haunted House movies. Like there are certain ones that work really well. And I find that it's when it's less overt, like, oh, there's a ghost running down the hall or something like that, that, um, that I find that them, they work better. Or in cases like this, where it's, it's this more metaphorical sort of house. Well, and you know what's interesting about this one is that the house, I mean, we're really inside her mind with the house, right? The house is largely not a part of it. She would, like, this experience would possess her like her surroundings based on the rules of the movie if she was in my house. Right. Like I get the feeling I could walk into my closet and go forever if she were hanging out on the couch. <laughs> um, and, and I think that's what I like about it, because the house is sort of 
it, you know, they did wonderful things with the house, but in terms of the narrative itself, the house is kind of irrelevant. Well, except for the fact that the house represents the memories. And I don't think like if she were in yeah. your house, it's not going to be the same, right? She, she has these dark, you know, corners and these labyrinths within her house because of her time there, because of her, her memories of having been there so long. It's, it's like all those little bits and pieces that, that get buried deep in there because she had been there so long because of the connections to grandpa and that window and everything. And so, so I think, I think it had to be this house in order for this to work. Like if they had moved her to the nursing home, I don't think you would have had the same story as you get here. Yeah, that's probably true. But I do like the fact that, that the house itself it's a manifestation of memories, but the house itself is kind of irrelevant. Yeah, it's yeah. not like the haunting of Hill House, like the house where the house is a character. I, I kind of, I tire of that a little bit, right. I think. Yeah, no, and that, that point, I think, is uh, does make sense. Hmm. Okay. Well, we are going to be right back, but first, our credits. The Next Reel is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson, music by Sivan Talmor and Yehiskel Raz, Oriel Novella, and Eli Ketlin. Andy usually finds the stats for the awards and numbers at the-numbers.com, boxofficemojo.com, imdb.com, and wikipedia.org. Find the show at truestory.fm, and if your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, please consider doing that for our show. How to do it award season? You know, it did okay for itself considering oh, pandemic times. You know, um, it did, yeah. and the fact that it's a quieter type of horror film. Uh, it had five wins, twenty three other nominations at the Actas, which again are Australia's Academy Awards. It had one, two, three, six nominations. Bella Heathcote was nominated for supporting actress, but lost to Essie Davis, who we just talked about in the Babadook in the film Baby Teeth. Uh, Best Direction also lost to Baby Teeth. Best Sound lost to The Invisible Man. Best Hair and Makeup lost to The True History of the Kelly Gang. Best Film and Best Screenplay also lost to Baby Teeth. I really need to see Baby Teeth now. Baby Teeth, yeah. I I feel like I had heard of it at one point. Ben Mendelsohn's also in it. Uh, But now I'm like incredibly curious about that film. Wow. At the Sitges Catalonian International Film Festival, uh, James won Best Director, and the film uh, tied Best Screenplay with Comrade Draculich, and it was nominated for Best Motion Picture in the Fantastic section, but lost to the film Possessor. All right, you already told us this had a limited budget, and yet, Andy, Jake Gyllenhaal and the Russo brothers yeah, producing? Come on, they didn't have a little extra coin to throw at this movie? You know, I wish I could tell you. Uh, James was working with a low budget. That's what's kind of out there is that it was a low budget film for her debut. And as you said, obviously found some strong support with Jake Gyllenhaal producing with the Russo brothers coming on as executive producers. I couldn't find anywhere online where it actually reported the actual budget. Uh, It did sound like Screen Australia gave them a start with a million Australian dollars. Who knows where it went from there, though? So I just don't have a lot. The movie did premiere at Sundance 2020, uh, where IFC Midnight uh, then went on to pick it up a few months later. Obviously, COVID affected the release strategy. They did release the film July 3rd, 2020 in drive-ins, opposite The Outpost and The Truth. Then it upped to 69 theaters um, that were still open, I guess. I didn't remember any theaters being open, but apparently there were some theaters still open July 10th. They obviously were expecting more money to come in from streaming because it was a day-and-date release with Video On Demand. And that's the same day that it did debut uh, via streaming in Australia, uh, James's home country. This movie went on to earn a hair over a million dollars domestically and $1.8 million internationally. I'll, I'll say that's a strong turnout for COVID times, uh, giving it a total gross of $2.9 million. I just don't know if it made any money back, uh, but it certainly showed people what James could do and was what she needed to get her next feature drum wave going. That's amazing uh, that it, people were still going to the movies in July. I, I didn't <laughs> think any theaters were open still, but uh, 69 at least. Yeah, 69. Well, uh, this was a fun watch. Uh, can't wait for mom to see it. Uh, and I know it's one that I'm going to see 
again. Yeah, me too. This is one that I, I, I would definitely consider just picking up just so I had, because it's just such a, uh, a ride through um, just a haunting mood. I just really loved seeing what yeah. James did here. And it got me excited to watch, uh, you know, any, anything else he does. All right, Andy, then uh, let's go to Letterboxd. How are you going to review this one? Ah, boy, I tell you, I am really torn on this because part of me wants to just say it's a five-star film. I, is it four and a half? I, you know, I'm going to say five stars. Screw it. Five stars and a heart. Really? I just, I, I was just from the opening frames to the end. I just, I was in love with it. So there you go. Wow. I know. I'm not expecting it. I, I, I may be going big, but you know what? That's that's me with this show. So often I'm just like, screw it, I'm going big. Go big or go home. Go big or go home. Yeah. Right. I I don't know that I'm I don't know. I, I was with you. I was I was thinking uh, four, four and a half stars, definitely the highest so far of the of the horror movies, I think, that we've watched. But is it a five star film for me? Where would the stars have fallen, Andy? Where would they wither the stars? Right. Exactly. Curse that's it. always the question. Curse it. I'm going to do it too. I'm going to say five what? stars. I'll say five stars. I'm going to give it a heart with five of the stars and we'll see. I got stars to spare from the other movies that didn't get five stars, you know, in my bucket of uh, my limited right. bucket of stars. That's right. You're star stealing now. So we'll see. I might have to shave off a star later in order to make room for a, a, another movie, but uh, I'm going to give this a five star. I really, uh, I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Strong film. I'm glad the members picked it for us to talk about. Um, and so thank you members so much for, uh, for picking this film. Um, we will be getting a list up in our show talk channel some point soon with the poll for our October member bonus episode. Yeah. Um, but for now, uh, that's it for this one. So uh, it was a great addition to our horror debuts series i'm thrilled that we got a chance to talk about this because uh i i don't know if i had this film I, i'd heard of this film but i don't know if i had it like on my list of films to watch yeah i definitely didn't this was completely out of the blue what a delightful watch this was so uh, what did you think about it we want to know head over to the show talk channel on discord we'll be talking about this movie this week when the movie ends our conversation begins Letterbox giveth and drew as Letterbox always doeth. I drew the most popular review this week. Can I go first? Ooh, please do. Yeah, order of this popularity. Is order of popularity. This is uh, Josh Lewis who has eight hundred ninety-four likes on this review. I don't know what the third word is. What would you call? Oh, mfers. Yeah. Mfers. Okay. <laughs> yeah, our time. All right. Well, usually, isn't there usually like an apostrophe in there somewhere? <laughs> it's like Dr. Hafer. It's like Dr. Hafer. Yeah. It's like Hafer's. If you MFers trick me into watching one more of these droning, underlit, vaguely art house, slow burn dramas that graft some haunted house movie vocabulary onto a theme and call it a day, a thousand ellipses. Watching that final shot, all I can think about was how pissed these filmmakers must have been that the title Hereditary wasn't already taken. L. O-L. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There is some truth that. in that. Hereditary. Mm -hmm. I, can see, I can see why. What do you got? Uh, I have a one and a half star film by Todd who says, Gran? 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 As a quote by everyone in this movie. <laughs> this film moves slowly. While doing nothing of significance. I've already forgotten it. Oh. There it is. Oh. I know. Thanks. I, does, it, does this speak louder to us because we have a deep-seated anxiety about actually contracting Alzheimer's ourselves? <laughs> Maybe. That we're, yeah, that we're I don't not know, able to face? Yeah, that, that very well could be, uh, you know. But uh, as you look through it, there are certainly a lot of people who... Say, you know, what a snooze. This is so boring. Um, everything is very expected. And I'm just like, ah, not for me. I loved it. I know. To them, I say, just you wait. Just <laughs> you wait. Thanks, Letterboxd.